Hello and welcome to the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dillman and Stephen Craig. This is episode 271, and it's our first episode live streaming the podcast. Woo! If you are just listening to this uh, normally, it's a MacFab, it's a twitch.tv slash MacFab. Um, the channel's kind of basic it's actually from back in the uh when we used to have those meetups the the engineering meetups at the fab like four years ago <laughs> I, don't, I i can't remember when it's we probably actually, longer than that now longer than longer ago than we started but it was i think it was about four years ago to when we stopped i can't remember it's been a long time yeah but um so i'm going to kick off this podcast with the Pinatar hardware. So I actually Ooh. have the right right there. And if you're watching live or we, I actually went post the video for this too on YouTube. Don't know yet, but you can see we have oh, video. It's real. It's alive. But what's interesting is so I built a couple of these. I think these are uh, I have four here. Three went up to Wisconsin uh, last week and we, we have a really interesting like bootloader issue or something like that. We don't know for sure yet, but basically like it's intermittent when you power on the board. Sometimes you just, it won't do anything. You have to press the reset button mm. and then it will, then it will just kick over. It's kind of funky. Is it like a power supply bring up possible? We, that's what we thought. And we measured the 3.3 volt line and it's coming up just as quickly as, or as slowly it's identical from the previous revisions, which never had this problem. Okay, so it's not like a you don't think it's a sequencing kind of issue. No, 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 it's not a sequence problem because like it has like a five millisecond like ramp up, which is like normal for for this. And we measured both the reset line and the three point three volt line, and it's fine. But the person I am working with just like we started looking at it underneath a microscope, and the chip looks different. Oh, oh no! Gone focus. Yeah, Parker's trying to show a uh, the an image a from picture his phone. on my phone, which doesn't work. <laughs> um, but it actually looks quite a bit different. Um, not saying it's counterfeit or anything because it could just come from Atmel's got tons of you know fabs around the world. It's a Atmel Sam D twenty one. So, uh. So don't know yet. Gonna have to look into you that. You, you think you got some super gray market parts or something? No, I got them from Mauser. You think they got some super gray market parts? That, that that's the thing is, yeah, you don't know if your distributor. Well, Mauser is a legit distributor of, of Atmel um, slash mi microchip parts. Um, so it's gonna be interesting. It could be nothing though. It could be just like, you know, the fuses are not programmed right or something on it <laughs> we don't know well, yet. so i wasn't able to really see what was like is it just the marking on the chip that was different oh the it, like the font slightly different Ooh, okay. yeah <laughs> For well now. you know right now chip manufacturers are struggling like crazy uh I, I was actually working with my my boss earlier today to try to find um an stm 32 f051 microcontroller because we need that for one of our products and it's just like beating your head on a table trying to search the world for anyone who has it right like go to go to mauser right now and type in stm32 and look at every single line it's like 
uh, on order, on order, on order, on order. Like, just there, you can't find them anywhere. Um, and and the prices are like five x right now. If you can find something through the gray market, what uh, STM part? There are some that are in stock. Yeah, but not not in the package we want and everything. So yeah, it looks like only the expensive STM thirty twos are in stock. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Go figure. <laughs> and actually, I saw a tweet. I saw a tweet earlier today that the Sam D twenty ones are also like. No, never mind. Those look fine. Everyone's panic buying right now. Yeah, but like at least the one that we're using on Pinotar got like a couple thousand. So I'm like, okay, that's fine. Yeah, and it's one per. Maybe I should panic buy like a thousand right now. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. It's a like every- we'll finish the podcast and we'll I'll look and be all sold out now. Well, and and so the the whole thing with the uh different font uh we experienced some um ic's recently where uh they they went out of stock because the uh the plant caught on fire but they had some excess left over so they shipped them out and had them encapsulated somewhere else so Ah. it could be a situation like that where they just finished them somewhere else and you have a different font they they were a a different machine lasered it right right some intern had to make that cad file to laser it (laughs) <laughs> right. Comic Sans. Yeah, Comic Sans. <laughs> uh, honestly, people would still buy it right now. If if we always make that joke, if we ever had a fabrication company, like a chip fabrication company, it, first of all, it would be called Tasty Chips. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a deep cut right there. Yeah, but we'd have to have the font would, on the chips would be in Comic Sans. For sure. 100%. <laughs> and they'd be like $30 a piece. Yes. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. So on to the main topic for this podcast, which you sent me earlier this, uh, today, and I was just like, yes. Because we kind of touched this on this, like, I think it was last week or the week before that, um, a little bit with about open source hardware and what open source hardware means to us. We kind of, it was kind of like, we kind of lightly touched on it, but we did hit on one other topic in there that I think you're going to go down the rabbit hole this time on. Oh, I hope we both go down the rabbit hole. I hope everyone goes down the rabbit hole on this one. Uh, Cause um, well, I don't, it's, it's important on a lot of different, from a, a lot of different aspects. So, so we're going to talk about right to repair today, which um, I've been seeing crop up a lot in my social media feed, in my YouTube videos. Uh, I've even seen a handful of uh, people talking about it in our Slack channel and uh, I've been diving a little bit into it to get uh, more acquainted with what it means. And what's what's funny about it is because it because right to repair touches on uh, what is near and dear to us, basically as designers and electronics guys. Uh, but it also dips its toes pretty deep into the world of politics. It's a it's one of those things where like on the surface, like if you hear the word right to repair, you're like, oh, that sounds great. And then you start d- digging into it. And it's like, oh, this is dirty. Oh, this is yeah. this gets kind of nasty really fast. Yeah, yeah, because it's one of those topics that I benefit from. And also I can also see the other side from in terms of the manufacturer side or the uh, I guess in this term in, is the IP holder. As yeah, well. right, right. Yeah. So so I think it's important. Okay, let's let's first start by just giving 
this is Wikipedia's first sentence about right to repair. It says, the right to repair electronics refers to government legislation that is intended to allow consumers the ability to repair and modify their own consumer electronic devices, where otherwise the manufacturer of such devices requires the consumer to use only their offered services. Yeah, and, and it's very interesting with how what right to repair electronics means compared to what it's meant in the past, which is for motor vehicles. Right. Because uh, motor vehicles already have a right to repair act called the Motor Vehicle Owners Right to Repair Act. And I think that came up in about, oh, I want to say like 2000 or 2002, something like that. Oh, I'm thinking about uh, the, the other one that happened in Massachusetts. Oh, no, no. This is like a federal law. Got it. Yeah. Um, and basically what it did was ending the unfair monopoly on car manufacturers maintaining control over repair information that could result in independent shops turning away car owners due to lack of information. So kind of a different idea. In the end, it's the same. You're getting your device repaired by a third party, but it's more of a, the car manufacturer basically, so car manufacturers build a document called a factory service manual. Mm -hmm. And they basically have to allow, they have to be able to sell that FSM, factory service manual, to third-party shops, basically. And allow them to buy the components that that FSM calls for. So if, if, a, if you open it up and it says, replace the traction control module B3, uh, Tasty Chips Motor Company has Do to that. sell that module to you. Mm. Um, it doesn't go as it's going to be interesting going into right to repair electronics, especially talking about automotive vehicles on the side with um, motor vehicles don't sell you like the component inside the module being bad. They'll sell you the module. So it's going to be very interesting going down this right to repair electronics hole with that in mind in terms of what we already had the right to repair as. Well, OK, <clears throat> I, I think I think something that is potentially a little bit uh, misleading from the name right to repair is it kind of seems like you don't have the right to repair. Uh, like if you're voting on this, why would you ever say no? Why would I say no to giving myself the right to repair? If if you own you a product, if you own anything from a, a cell phone to a car, you do have the right to repair that. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it, it's interesting to how it's phrased mm -hmm. because you are correct. It is, you can open up your refrigerator and try to fix it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now what, what, what is the right to repair mean though, in this case then Steven? Well, okay. So the right to repair actually generally boils down to the right to access to the, uh, to the documentation and the parts to repair. So, like you said, ending the unfair monopoly of car manufacturers maintaining control over the over repairs, this uh, the right to repair effectively ends that for electronics uh, repair shops. So, in other words, um, big players like Apple would have to provide things such as schematics and part numbers and maybe even service manuals to small mom and pop repair shops down the street, as opposed to. Uh, requiring that the only place that your thing can be repaired is at an authorized Apple repair center. 
Mm-hmm. And and I'm picking a little bit on Apple because they're sort of one of the the big uh, the, the 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 one that everyone complains about effectively. Correct. And we actually already talked about um, and this bridges both of those worlds is Tesla on this podcast before where Tesla really tries to skirt the line of the motor vehicle owners right to repair act a lot. And one of the ways they do that is by violating your warranty when you bring it to a third party shop. And that's actually a big part of right to repair is uh, removing those, removing the do not remove under penalty of voiding your warranty stickers. Right. Right. And so, you know, let's talk about Apple for a quick second. Um, Mainly because, uh, like I said, a lot of a lot of this electronics repairs has to do with the way Apple handles the um, uh, repairs. A a lot of a lot of the the situations with Apple ends up boiling down to uh, them questioning if you really own the thing that you purchased from them. And, and and it might seem it might seem a little bit ridiculous to ask that question, but uh, in general, they they do. There is some gray zone, especially when it comes to cell phones, because a lot of times people are on lease plans or or, or uh, what is it um, lease to own with uh, with with phones. And so in that time frame that you are paying off your phone, do you actually technically own it, and do you have the right to modify it, um, or are you? effectively renting the phone at that moment it's like back in the day where um you were jailbreaking your iphone to sideload applications and that kind of stuff right right and so it also brings up the the question after you have fully paid off your phone then do you have the right like do you just instantaneously gain this right to modify uh things uh it, it ends up being a lot of a lot of gray zone and and to be honest i understand why apple wants it to be that way because a- apple brands themselves as as a luxury brand uh they they put themselves out there as like this high quality thing that you know what you're going to get when you buy an apple um and and they they in order to maintain that uh ecosystem in a way they 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 have extremely strict controls over how uh, things get done. So if they control all repairs, then they control the way that the, the user experience after the uh, the repair or even the user experience during the repair. You know what you're getting into with Apple. Uh, they have all their training, all their protocols, all their documentation under control in their uh, repair centers such that <clears throat> um, they control exactly how it ends up now if you end up having a third party repair something and then say the third party does a bad job and it and it needs to come back to the repair center that can even though it's ridiculous that can still reflect poorly upon the brand itself the uh, the brand apple and they could still get blamed for something that's like oh well now you've designed something that can't be repaired even though it might be the third party's fault for not repairing it correctly or not uh not doing a good enough job uh and so i get the idea yeah how how many times uh do people bring their cars to a mechanic and and it either the mechanic overcharges them or doesn't do a good job of fixing it or not fixing the correct thing right right or accidentally introduces a 
a minor rattle, and then they come back and they give them a terrible Yelp review because, you know. Could you, could you imagine you get your cell phone repaired, but now it uh it has like a, the 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 switcher mode power supply in it just makes an awful screechy noise whenever you plug it in. <laughs> right. That's the equivalent of dash rattle. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, or or just loose parts inside, right? So the thing about it is Apple actively I shouldn't I shouldn't just necessarily pick on on Apple. A, a lot of what right to repair is is um, uh, pushing against is corporations that do withhold repair information in order to prevent third party uh, repair uh, locations from executing these jobs. And then um, requiring that all of these repairs be done at uh, service centers, but the, a lot of the complaints that you, that that exist around right to repair is that um, it seems like these large players are also restricting access to the components themselves to complete repairs. So even if you're aware of a repair and you don't need the documentation, can you even get the parts to to accomplish the repair? You know, a lot of a lot of what I've seen and read about is like, you know, 30 years ago, and it's probably less than that, but but we'll, we'll go old school here. 30 years ago, you could just walk into Radio Shack, get yourself whatever transistor you needed to fix your phono and then go home and, and replace <laughs> it. Right. And like that was well, the whole no, thing. Well, well, you can I actually I don't think anyone actually replaced transistor level stuff, but like tubes would definitely be the example. You would go to Radio Shack with your tubes at your TV, and they would have a tester there. And you would test your tubes and then go, okay, this one is the bad tube, and you would buy a new tube, go back home, plug them back in, and watch uh, black and white TV. You know, okay, okay, that, let's, let's take a sidestep real quick, because uh, that, that brings up an interesting question. Tubes have always effectively been considered a wear component. Because they do wear and they do need replaced. So if you replace a wear component, is that a repair? Like, did you actually... It's maintenance. So it's maintenance. at that point, would just replacing tubes be maintenance? Yeah, I mean, 100%. Yeah, if you, if you would consider them wear items, then yeah. Well, but remember Tesla called yeah, out that, that NAND flash, not NAND flash, flash memory as a wear item. Wear is that item. maintenance or is that a repair? Well... We talked about on that episode is it's how I view it is if the manufacturer specifies a interval to test and chain and like replace things, that becomes a maintenance item because it's something you can schedule. The moment that you can't schedule it, then is it maintenance anymore or is it just like, oh, now it's broken? <laughs> <laughs> so, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, Oh, yeah, like, I, I, this, this is actually a great comment. Eventually, everything wears out, which is true, but is it within the lifespan of the product is a good way to put it. Like, do you expect the tires on your car to last the entirety that that car is on the road? No. I wish. Yeah. <laughs> There'd be some hard tires. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, well, okay. And now we can really go down the rabbit hole. If that's the case, then uh, does everyone need to uh, indicate what the lifespan of your product is? Like, in other words, when you purchase it, the manufacturer tells you, I expect you, this thing to last X years. And after that, that's usually you know, the warranty, right? 
<laughs> that's at least how I view the warranty. Is if they say the warranty is two years, I'm like, okay, that's about like that's what what do you call it? That's like the bump, the peak, the um, Gaussian curve of that product is like most other product is going to hit two years, and then after that is when everything's just going to start breaking. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so some of the well. Uh, let me bring up a specific application here. Uh, when I, going back to the uh, uh, Apple guys, um, the, so there's a a particular IC that is a known failure mode in a lot of Apple products. Uh, that is a charging IC. Uh, goes bad in the battery uh, charging circuitry. It's the ISL ninety two forty, which is uh, manufactured by Renesas, uh, which. It was it was manufactured previously by someone else, but regardless, that's who it's manufactured now. This is not an IC that is available from the big players. You can't just go out and buy this. You can't go to Mauser, DigiKey, etc. Exactly. Um, from I believe in the past it was available, but it is now not. You can't just go and snag it from someone. And if you go do a Google search for that, in fact, I have one pulled up here. Like the first link is for eBay. Uh, eBay. The second one is. $37 for something from a forum, whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then people asking, where can I buy this, this IC? And, and apparently, uh, you know, this, this was like a few dollar chip. Uh, you could just hot air it off, hot air a new one on or, or solder a new one on. And, uh, and that usually fixed the, uh, fixed it. If, if you were, if you had this problem and you, you went to an Apple uh, service center, it could cost upwards of $1,500 for them to do the repair. And most of the time it was just a straight full on board replacement because f- frankly, from the big players who does board level repairs anymore or component level repairs, like not n- nobody pretty much. I can't think of any big manufacturer doing that right now. Right. So going sort of, sort of going back to like where right to repair comes in here is, uh, People are asking, why can't we just purchase this chip and have a third-party company do the physical repair on the PCB? Uh, and, and and a $1,500 repair from Apple, which is just a straight replacement versus a $150, $200 repair from a third-party place, that's sort of the crux of right to repair. Like, why mm-hmm. can't people have access to this uh, and be able to do that? So I'm, I don't know how much farther you want to get down this one particular example. But I can tell you where if let's say we they implemented the exact same legislation that like they did for the motor vehicles, what would happen here? You still couldn't. I'm assuming that this because I did read a couple of the links for this ISL 9240. It looks like it was you, you could never actually buy this chip like from a, a main distributor mm-hmm. like, like Mauser or Digikey. You okay. always had to go to like the manufacturer because this is actually a slightly custom part that Apple uh, has manufactured for them. Got it. So going back to the motor vehicle act, what would, so you still couldn't buy that IC because in Apple's documentation, if they are just doing board level repair, you would be able to buy the board level repair part. You can buy the big PCB, right? Mm -hmm. But you wouldn't be still wouldn't be able to buy that part. Um, now is that better? Probably. Yeah. Actually being able to buy that component, at least the replacement module is, is good. But from a, like Apple is not replacing that component either. 
on the board level. No. So I write the repair in terms of oh, you're getting all the documentation from Apple and how to fix things, you're still not going to be able to buy that part. Well, okay, so so here's the thing. I think, so we're jumping the gun a little bit and going a little bit further, but but let's start asking yeah. questions here. I believe that right the, the right to repair community is trying to um, get everything effectively. So they want the documentation, but they want to also be able to buy the uh, all the parts effectively. Mm-hmm. They want that to be readily available. You can just snag them one-offs and do repairs. And I think uh, perhaps there's a little bit of short-sightedness there because uh, it's very... I mean, Apple's not a distributor of individual parts. Uh, and and if it's a custom part made for Apple, should they now stock that? Should they, should they stock every single part in order to build or, or repair any of their products at any time for how long? Go to Apple, how Apple.com and buy an 0603.1 microfarad capacitor. Exactly. Is that is that where we're going to be getting at? Well, now that might be too straw man, but I I don't know. It well, it feels like it, right? Uh, but but the the problem but in is terms like, of this, that that's why I was getting at with the motor vehicle is it act is you what it does what the right of repair act for motor vehicles allow you to do is to get the same level of repair that the dealer does so you get the factory service manual and you can you have access to all the parts the dealer has access to so in this case you a mom and pop shop would have access to the same documentation and the same level of part parts that they can buy that apple repair centers like regular ones get now guess what's going to happen there though is that mom and pop shop can can do the $1,500 repair, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. they can repl- they can buy the board, but they still won't be able to buy that part. Unless this act goes, the right to repair goes even further and saying, hey, subcomponents are now accessible, which is now is like, okay, now like 0.1 microfarad 0603 components chip parts are subcomponents then. And that that just sounds a little ridiculous going that far. Well, okay, but I, I, I I do agree. I do agree with the. I'd rather just fix that one little part than junk the entire board because junking the entire board creates a lot of e waste. That's the that's exactly the next thing I was going to go on. <clears throat> one of the hallmarks of of the right to repair movement. Uh, in fact, if you go to, uh, we have some links up, uh, repair.org, and uh, actually there's a whole subsection of the uh, website, iFixit, which iFixit makes little kits of, of um, uh, tools and things for like, if you need to repair your Nintendo Switch or something like that, you can buy an iFixit kit that has all the right tools for the right screws uh, to be able to open your Nintendo Switch or iPhones or whatever. Uh, there's a whole section on the iFixit website. Uh, in fact, there's a manifesto, they even call it, where they talk about um, e-waste and uh, repair saving the planet. Uh, so the Earth has limited resources. Eventually, we'll run out. The best way to be efficient is to reuse what we already have. And uh, and that's that's direct wording from this repair manifesto from iFixit. So above and beyond, uh, you know, just having access to uh, the documentation and things. What what a lot of this is asking for is not just have the third party 
have the exact same parts as the dealer because that what that would mean is just the third party would junk the board just like the dealer would right correct this is this is i think they're really getting at going all the way down to component level yeah and so to, to kind of side note i guess is we got a lot of people chatting in our, our live stream um we will get to questions at the very end unless i like find something that i'm going to quip in <laughs> unless um, he thinks because, it's good enough <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly it, it just, just stopping the podcast like every five minutes just isn't going to work yeah so sure um this is our first time trying to do this so we'll get we'll get better but I, I do enjoy that y'all are chatting it's just that like if steven is in this big rant it's like when know, am i not I in stop. a big rant i can't stop steven <laughs> okay continuing on yeah so yeah um it's very interesting on on that is I do agree that being able to replace individual components is is the way to go um on especially on circuit boards especially since like you have like like eventually like electrolytic capacitors like that actually might be a way to think about it is like are electrolytic capacitors wear items because they they have a shelf life of like you know a thousand ten thousand hours depending on the condition, oh, like their, their environment. Well, okay. This is so that actually has a rating number. <laughs> well, but, but here's the, yes, you're absolutely right. And, but that rating has to do with, if you've ever designed electrolytic capa uh, capacitors into your circuit, like that, that rating is so variable based on a bazillion factors yeah. that go into it. Of course. Of but, course. but, <clears throat> so, but, but that jumps right into the next topic that I wanted to go to is instead of like from, the the let's think about this from the designer's perspective let's think about the person who designs the macbook or designs the iphone or whatever or even the car so let's say that right to repair legislation goes through and now we as the designers have to provide all of our documentation and we have to start providing information on ic's what do we provide uh, like Okay, so take electrolytic capacitors, for example. Do we have to provide what the exact part number or do we just provide the value? Do we have to provide all the information about the package? Do we have to provide information about the lifespan of that component? Uh, this charging chip, like to what degree of, of information are will we be required to supply? Like here's an example I was thinking of earlier. A lot of times with... Uh, um, service manuals uh electronic service manuals you'll get a schematic and it's a it's a schematic that has all the parts you expect on it but you won't get a bill of materials you'll just get the schematic and it might say something like 100r for a resistor on there is that mm. a 2 watt resistor is that a critical resistor do you do you have to know all the all the intricate intimate details about that component uh what if somebody replaces that on with a hundred ohm resistor and they chose the wrong one and then they damaged the thing further. Well, mm -hmm. who's liable for that? Am I the designer liable? Cause I didn't give the repairman enough information on that. Or, or actually even going further is let's say you, let's say you say, Hey, this is a hundred ohm resistor at whatever package doesn't really matter. Right. This one specification. Right. And you go and you pick a part, right. Doesn't matter what part it is. And you test everything got tested great, all fine. And so on your schematic, you go, yeah, 100 ohm, 0603, blah, 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 all the specifications that actually mattered. 
someone replaces it with something that's equivalent but not identical, guess what now? That device violates FCC. Mm, yeah. Because it's not the same component. Now, are you liable? Because you didn't test that extra, that extra component, even though it's functionally equivalent, mm-hmm. but now your device is out of spec. That's well, actually another way to think about it too. Go even further. What about what if that component was critical for safety, and you just replaced it, and you didn't know you put the wrong part in it, and you caused bodily harm or death? Like, I mean, would that be on the engineers? Uh, would that be my liability because I didn't give you enough information about the safety part? This that sounds a lot like uh, was it Prop sixty five in California where like they and everything is it Prop sixty five what whatever the one that they just stamp everything's made out of lead because <laughs> then what you what will happen is if 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 what will happen is engineers will be like everything's critical <laughs> <laughs> yeah right 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 <laughs> just to cover their butts right. right? And then does it even matter in the end then? Yeah. No. Just like when you see that that sticker on something, you're like, oh, I don't care. That sticker's on everything. Maybe maybe reel it back. We went down a, a rabbit hole of like going weird, you know, FCC issues, then like death. Like yeah. reel it back and like, let's say there's a component that um, it really needs to have a good temperature coefficient in order to stay in... Um, uh, in order for a calibration to be correct or something like that, mm. let's let's just say that. Let's say the designer spec'd a twenty. It's part PPM of an resistor, antenna circuit. But but some guy just randomly puts a five hundred ppm resistor in there, and then the repair sort of works, but sometimes it doesn't. If it gets hot, it doesn't work. And then yeah. like, do you just say like, oh man, this iPhone is junk? Uh, and then the brand gets a bad rap because the wrong part was installed. Well, who's at fault for that. Um, like there's just, I believe that, that this legislation, like at heart, there's a lot of good behind it. Yes. We, I believe that we should be able to repair our stuff, but like, it's just, as I'm going through this, I'm thinking of so many questions that are like, Oh, this would, this affects me in a really hard way. Mm -hmm. And actually let's, let's, gig off this component that Apple gets custom made that you can't buy anywhere, yeah. right? Yeah. This ISL 9240. So let's say that was a, let's say legislation passed for right to repair that they had to provide component level for integrated boards. So they had to provide this ISL 9240. Sure. Okay. They can be like, okay, yeah, we'll just sell our overage on like eBay or something. Mm-hmm. Okay, whatever. What gets interesting is a lot of those components, especially integrated components, are also programmed. Okay, like microcontrollers that have internal flash. Are they going to have to? Prov- what if they just provide the blank f- chips? Is, is that sufficient? No, uh, I'm going to go further. Uh, in the legislation, <laughs> it calls for firmware to be something that is required to be provided as well. So, see, that gets very interesting because a lot of encryption stuff. I know there's a lot of open source stuff for that, but a lot of the encryption stuff is like baked into that firmware. Might not be a good idea for that to be out. Sure. Depending on your viewpoint on open source encryption and that kind of stuff. I will, I don't know enough about that sector to make a big opinion on that, but that's just something I know about would be an issue. You know, this is a little bit of a tangent, but it comes to mind. 
I don't. So, no, hold on. Let's actually go and like down that firmware tangent is what if the what if the microcontrollers don't have like an open sort like an open tool chain to like even program them like are are we going to are they going to have to provide at that point like the entire tool chain that they're using to load up this firmware i don't know that just it just sounds like it's getting like ridiculously fine at that point, I think that there's unfortunately there's a little bit of ignorance on all sides. Uh, in other words, I think both sides maybe are not fully understanding the other side. Like the consumer and the user just wants their crap to work, right? Yeah, they just want their and they want to be able to fix it at a reasonable cost, reasonable price, right? And, yeah. Uh, whereas the manufacturers are like, this is very technical. This is very difficult you pay this price because it's not something that we can just give to anyone Mm -hmm. and i think that there's uh, and when i say ignorance i don't mean stupidity i mean ignorance is in like just not understanding the other side yeah not understanding yeah and on top of that there are companies that this is their business model uh now i don't believe that i believe that it is apple's business model uh for this but but like take a caterpillar for example yeah, but I think Apple does it for what you said it earlier. Apple does this to maintain um, their, the experience. The experience and their quality. Yeah, experience and quality. Yeah. I don't think they do it to screw you out of a repair. No, I, I, I do think they think of their bottom line quite a bit, to be honest with it. But but um, uh, I think that, I mean, I, I don't think that's uh, the only factor. I think that is a well, factor. I'll, I'll, so if they were only thinking about their bottom line, they would not repair anything. Right. They would just make you purchase another one and blame you for everything that you've ever done. Right. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, if they wanted to be completely evil. But but yeah. but I brought up Caterpillar. I, of what I know of how Caterpillar works, like the, the construction machinery company. Yeah, they build a lot of engines, by the way, too. Well, and their stuff is usually really cheap to, to purchase. Like, it's mostly cheaper than everyone else. But their service plans and their parts are, are uh, elevated. So you get in, they get you in the door, and then you pay money later on. You buy, it's cheap because the parts are expensive. Exactly. That's the industry. That's the oil and gas industry term for that, <laughs> right? Which the thing the thing about it is like it's their right to do that. If that's their business model, great. If you don't like that, don't buy their thing. I, I believe I'm a little bit more conservative libertarian when it comes to this kind of topic. Where if you don't like how that company's doing it, don't buy that thing. Like, if you don't like how Apple screws you, stop buying Apple. Like, it, in my opinion, it is a little bit more that easy. But I, but like I said earlier, I think everyone, they want everything. They want the Apple, but then they want the cheap repairs at the same time. Or the f- freely open repairs. Yeah. So I see on, next on the list is John Deere. And I saw some people talking about John Deere in chat. Yeah. Um, John Deere got got slammed for this uh, in 2018. Well, the, I mean, it's been it's been quite a bit too ongoing. It's ongoing because John John Deere requires authorized service technicians to service their equipment. So you purchase hmm. a, a hundred thousand dollar tractor from John. That Deere. sounds like t- Tesla. Well, it sounds way. like a lot of companies, right? Yeah. Uh, but but they have very highly um, elevated prices, and uh, you can only purchase parts through authorized uh, uh, vendors. So the 
I, there's been some complaint about that where you have to get authorized John Deere guys out to your farm to fix your John Deere tra- tractor. Mm. And right to repair, this is sort of beyond the electronic side. It's, it's extending to virtually anything you own. Um, and so people are looking out for, for farmers. Can, like, can you survive a $150 an hour service call to fix your, your tractor, right? So it, that's getting kind of roped into all of this at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it, it does sound like John Deere, in this case, is violating the Right to Repair Automotive Act already, if you consider a tractor automotive vehicle. And I bet you some people who drive them on the roads think they are. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, I, I mean, I bet I, they're probably not. Right, uh, they're probably not labeled as. They're yeah, probably I don't farm know if heavy equipment. Like, called. yeah, farm implements yeah. and uh, heavy equipment is under motor vehicles. But if it was, then they're definitely violating because they're not allowing a third party to the same level of service to repair. But that, that's the big thing we have to keep hammering is. Because a lot of people I've, I've seen on, especially Twitter and stuff, well, like, we can already repair our cars, but I'm like, you can repair them to the same level as the, as the dealer can. Going further requires your own knowledge, basically, right? Uh, and your own uh, ability to, to get parts. Um. And I, actually, this is this is a really good, interesting question on parts. Is um, before we keep moving down this this big list, is what happens um, to right a repair, especially in this current uh, supply chain environment, when you can't those parts go out of stock. So let's say Apple says, "Okay, yeah, we're going to be able to supply you all the parts," and they they just stop using the ISL nine two four zero. And it was a custom part. Well, how long are they supposed to like keep parts for? Like automotive, it's kind of like an unwritten rule that parts they might have enough parts for like ten years of repair after like a model goes out, uh, uh, gets stops being manufactured, and then sometimes a third party manufacturer will like reverse engineer that component or whatever, and then make him like the original OEM of that that sensor will just sell it on their own with a different part number and just say it's equivalent. Um, I don't see that happening at all with like integrated components. Like, can you, can you find like an out of stock, like microcontroller that's been like end of life for 10 years and go and find a third party that's making it? Sometimes like rarely, I should say. Yeah, I I can't really think of anything like I, that. That happens in my industry a lot, though. Seven thousand, uh, seven thousand four hundred series ICs, that kind of stuff. Yes, because those are kind of like jelly beans. But like, like an eighteen mega three twenty eight P. If that if Atmel ever decided to like just cut that thing off and just let it die, is there anyone out there that's going to make them? Probably not. I don't know. Some somebody would would pick up the torch. I think on that one. <laughs> I think you picked, you, you picked on on that one. Maybe that one. I picked one that's like, yeah. You 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 picked one of the very few where the answer is probably yes too. <laughs> yeah, the answer would probably be yes. Uh, actually, I I bet you the Arduino um, community would figure out how to get them made. No, oh, yeah, probably. Uh, 
Yeah, and, oh, so, okay. And that actually brings up a, a, a kind of an interesting point. If right to repair means that the parts must exist, who must... I don't think, I don't think they were requesting that, though. I'm just, that was just me going down the... Just thinking about it. Well, okay. So if, if Apple... Okay. If, if a company has access to the parts, then you must have access to the parts is effectively what right to repair is saying. No. no. Well, depends. It depends. The right to repair the motor, automotive act is no. You don't have that. You have access to what their service technicians have. I.e., if Apple is replaced... I know I've said this like eight times in this podcast if apple's just replacing the pcb assembly you won't have access to the pcb assembly if apple was actually replacing that chip though then yes you'd get access to that chip it depends on what their factory service manual dictates what you do and what parts you can buy in the fsm is what you have access to well okay so i think now i know i know the right to repair electronics they're trying to go further yes and and get subcomponents what we would consider, we would consider everyone that's listening to this podcast would consider components right. like the the IC, the uh, ISL nine two four zero. But to Apple, that is not a component; that is a subcomponent. Uh, correct, as part of an assembly. Yeah, but but I think right to repair is also calling for um, a little bit of uh, uh, environmental ethics to be uh, mm-hmm. included in there. So instead of just tossing the board. They want the parts to be available, so I think what I'm saying is is a little bit more. It's down the line, but it's uh, but it is what, kind of what they're asking for is saying we want access to the individual components so, so we can make those repairs. So it's it's beyond what you're saying. It's like uh, I get what you're saying, where it's like third parties must have access to the parts that first parties would have, but above and beyond that, they're asking for yeah. ethical uh, environmental. So to roll it back to what engineers so let's just say that is what it is i think a fair piece of legislation would be subcomponents that have become parts that are known to wear out or fail so you don't have to provide 0.1 microfarad 0603 ceramic capacitors on your website but in this regard if this is a very this ends up becoming a very common component that fails then you could say, okay, now that goes into a whole legislation of like, what is reasonable or what that number is? Oh, is it a percentage? And it ends up going down like the rabbit hole, like recalls for automotives, yeah. where like there's legislation of like what may, what constitutes of like what a recall is versus just like a warranty repair. Yeah, it's like the legislation down that is like bonkers. So, but I I can do I can see that as being. Okay, maybe they don't offer that part at first. It's to, in, 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 uh, until enough like third party people are like complaining that they need that part. Then they go, okay, we we'll start providing that part. Hmm. Just throwing it out there. That seems a lot more fair. I don't know. Like it just like it just seems like you get into <laughs> sticky situations no matter which direction you approach this from. Hmm. Hmm. Well, okay, so questions about about where this is kind of going or 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 some some information about where this is all going. Uh I want to bring up Lewis Rossman 
which if uh, if you looked into... He's the person that repairs Apple devices on YouTube, right? Yeah, on, on YouTube. He's a big proponent for right to repair. Uh, in fact, he's kind of the one that really uh, pushes for or, or gives a lot of information and talks a lot about this specific charging chip that we've gone over uh, and how that's been uh, a giant pain in his ass, really. Um, so Lewis Ross, well, he's been like sued by Apple and stuff like that. He, and he gets called in for hearings and, and information. Like he's, a, he's, he's got about one and a half million subscribers on YouTube and he's sort of a big deal when it comes to this kind of stuff in terms mm-hmm. of like, he's got a, a large crowd that listens to it. He's actually started a GoFundMe uh, to uh, that's called let's get right to repair past. And specifically, I believe this is in Massachusetts and uh, he opened it a few days ago and already has $317,000 for it. What what he's trying to do is is sort of backdoor legislation. Um, and, and I find this kind of interesting. I wasn't uh, fully aware that this was even uh, something that was available. And perhaps this is a Massachusetts thing. But uh, he's, he's trying to get this passed through a direct ballot initiative, which... Uh, automotive right to repair was actually passed through direct ballot initiative, which that's something where um, individual citizens vote on it as opposed to uh, the legislature in, uh, in Massachusetts. However, it takes a significant amount of money to actually get that uh, passed through. So he's looking for $6 million to uh, get this passed in Massachusetts. So go check out that GoFundMe. It's interesting because he gives a lot more detail over what he is thinking right to repair is and and what's going on there and he has he he almost does weekly updates on this on his youtube channel so if you want to hear more about um from someone who's i guess you could say in the trenches on the repair side of things i think he's an excellent resource to talk about this cool yeah yeah i posted that link into chat and we'll post it up on the show notes so you can check it out oh for sure yep and and in the amount of time that we've done this podcast, he's he's gained uh, like a thousand bucks. That's awesome. It's going to take a while to get to that six million, but um, he actually and 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 um, he even mentions in one of his YouTube videos he got uh, a commitment of a hundred thousand dollars that isn't part of this money. So above and beyond that, he's got a hundred thousand. There's there's a lot of people who are willing to uh, put some money into this because they're, I suppose that they're really upset with their consumer electronics and their repair experiences. So honestly, I think, I think large corporations like Apple could potentially hear this and maybe instead of, instead of going the legal route, perhaps they could change their practices to uh, alleviate this issue. Cause Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily a huge fan of uh, going to the government and using them as a club to beat, your uh, your position into corporations. I, I fit a little bit more on the side of like, if this is how Apple wants to do it, then this is how they're going to do it. And if you don't like it, don't buy their stuff. And I understand a lot of people don't really take that standpoint. Uh, they would rather have, have the Apple they want or the whoever they want and also have it be the way they want it to be. Um, I just, I'm not a huge fan of the government being in charge of that. Uh, and having regulation over these kinds of things because it affects it affects us as the designers and it starts bringing up all those questions that uh, that we were proposing earlier. Yeah, it's it's um, one of the things I really like about I'm, I'm reading uh, I fix it's uh, manifesto is what they call it, yep. which 
has its own connotation that that <laughs> word but um it i like this uh two devices that can be opened and that's actually one of the things when i go and buy things i make i try to ear on the side of can in 10 years open this thing up and fix it hmm. how hard will that be um and actually this the interesting thing is you can't is there a cell phone out there or I mean, call them cell phones anymore, smartphones, uh, that can be opened. Like, that's not glued shut. I think the last phone I owned that could be opened was a BlackBerry 9000. And that was like, you know, 2005, 2006. Hmm. Well, um, and, and that is, that is kind yeah, of an but argument. I do, I, I do vote with my wallet, though. Like, I try to buy things that I can open up. Well, and, 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 but that brings up the, the question, what if you can't? What if there just isn't an option, right? That's what I brought up is I don't know of any smartphones that you actually can, so you can't. Yeah, and, and there is the conservative viewpoint where it's just like, well, just go make your own, you know? And, it, 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 like, I get that, but it's not, as, it's not that easy, right? It's not mm-hmm. as easy as just like, oh, okay, cool. I'll just go make my own trillion-dollar phone company. Uh, it, yeah. it, like, sure, it could happen, but... Uh, what if I want to vote with my wallet right now? Yeah, but I, I'll put this way is you can pretty much look at I fix its manifesto and probably every single person on this podcast would be like, yeah, I, I agree to all this stuff. But yeah, it's what we were talking about earlier is what does that mean on everything else? Right. Uh, it, it, it just brings up a ton of questions and makes a, a, mm-hmm. a lot of gray zone there. But actually, when you read this, this is what the this is what the uh automotive industry had to go through, you know, and uh with their right to repair. Yeah. Like two error codes and wiring di- diagrams. Yeah, you can get that for your car in the factory service manual now. You can get you can choose your own repair technician. You can um uh to replace any and all consumables ourselves. That's in there as well, unless you're Tesla. <laughs> I think Tesla's going to have to face the music eventually on that. Probably. So, um, so we are running up at 54 minutes. Yeah. So I think we should field some questions from chat. So I'm going to bring chat over here so I can read it. Pardon everyone that is uh, just listen to the audio version the next day after. Um. Do-do-do-do-do. <laughs> uh yes uh so dj 27 x obd slash can still sucks in cars yes it does really badly um because uh, so this gets this goes to it, it you, the reason why it sucks or is is because a lot of manufacturers have their own codes which is fine because they document the codes and you can get it in the factory service manual. But for a lot of times, those codes can only be read by their reader, like their specific like reader or tool. And you have to go buy the tool from, you can buy the tool from them, but it's like, you know, eight grand or something like that. Um, and so that, that's what I was getting at with like loading firmware or stuff like that is like, are they going to have to provide that like level of diagnostic equipment, which is the answer is yes, basically. Now, is it going to be affordable to everyone? No, but it's going to be affordable to the mom pop third party shops. So 
Earthclaw underscore hive mind to create an open source cell phone. There's a lot of groups out there trying to do that. Um, I think some are actually successful. The problem with a lot of it is, at least in terms of pure open source, is the radio module that is the part that turns like the bits into like the modulated signals that go out into the 5G and 4Gs are like proprietary black boxes. That's that's the at least when I was looking into it a couple of years ago, that was the big thing. Can Apple be obligated to supply parts when they might not even have them? Yeah, that's yeah, that's what we were getting at earlier. Is if they are out of stock, do they have? How do they supply them to you? Well, what, okay. At the same time, if let's say let let's just pretend Mauser has stock of the parts, can Apple be like, well, I don't have to supply them because someone else has them? Legislation just means you can have access to them, and Mauser has a supply, so I don't have to do anything. Yeah, I don't. I think the um, the automotive industry does that by through OEMs. So yes, that would be if 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 Apple's OEM was Mauser, mm -hmm. which we weird to think about because yeah. no it's not be getting a big <laughs> cut out of that yeah um yes that's how it works in the automotive industry you go to the oem that's selling the part and they will sell it under like duralas for example which is like AutoZone's, i think box brand is but they sell that same part under the duralas name and then of course you can go to the dealer and this is example for Chrysler products is you can buy the Mopar part, which is like the Chrysler part box brand. Mm -hmm. well, um, so I would say, I would assume it would work fairly similar to that model. Here's a good one. What's the stance on repairability for the Pinotar? For the Pinotar. So the Pinotar, which is right there. It's open source, is, right? The schematic will be open source. Layout will not be. Well, we'll probably it'll probably have like a assembly, like document. Like J two is here. Uh, what would you call those? A uh, yeah, just an assembly document. So have an assembly document and a schematic, and then all the components you can buy at Mauser. Mauser's our OEM <laughs> for the parts, right? <laughs> um. And then for the firmware, I would say that goes on the microcontroller, that would be is, is closed source. But I would say if we ever like ever stop making the Pinotar, we would just open source that. Um, because then because we would not be profiting on it anymore. But the, if we're making money on it, then you know, um, anything past that just makes it easy to clone it, mm. which has happened to previous pinball boards of mine. Mm. So. I don't want to sound too much like a, a downer about that or anything, but like there's a little yeah. bit of crust, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, the, like the, um, like the microcontroller, like in terms of like repair, like you're going to be talking to the person who made it, not like a corporation. So, Uh, how was electronic repair liability handled back in the day when you could go to the store and test your tubes? I'm pretty sure they like just had a sticker that said warning high voltage. And that was it. Yeah. No, it says good luck. 
<laughs> no, actually, if you do look at old TVs and stuff, there's like a circuit diagram. And actually, most appliances that you buy uh, have circuit diagrams inside them. Like you open up the cabinet and there's going to be like a, a little area that's got like a little folded piece of paper. It might not tell you everything, but at least tells you how like stuff is hooked together. My, my, so my furnace unhook- has that. Yeah, so you can unhook stuff, and then most of those components are subcomponents that have part numbers, and you can go look them up. And basically, once you also realize there's only like three or four manufacturers of appliances, and they all just have different names. Like Whirlpool makes like like sixty percent of dishwashers on the market, or something like that. So everything has like Whirlpool parts inside of them. Right. Yeah, for topical use only. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, my old radios have a full schematic and bomb inside the case. Says Deathcon one two three four five. Yeah, yeah. They, um, there you go. But I would say back then those devices were more thought of as long term, um, and easy repair was thought about because there was wire wrapping. You didn't really have soldered components. I I think I did see a comment earlier. Um, let's see if I can scroll up and find it. Is um well there's one right there that's not exactly what i wanted um bu- 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 bu. but it was something about um it was something about the well, not sure. how, how about I this i i just got i'm doing a repair on a buddy's guitar app it's an old an old super uh-huh. oh Deathcon just figured out things were simpler back in the day is like the quote. Like this? Yes, like that. He's uh Steven's holding up his a tube amp. Uh yeah, a quite old tube amp where everything is point to point. Wires just terminate where they need to terminate effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh I'm actually surprised. Typically on these things, you would see on the wall of the cabinet, you would see a a, a diagram that at least gives you the uh, indications of what the tubes are. Yeah. I would say one of the reasons why, like, so like the classic manual has faded away. It also might be costs. Like making all that documentation is expensive and it might be actually cheaper depending on the product to just make it e-waste and then get a new product. I hate saying that, but that's actually probably a lot of accountants going through the numbers are are looking at it that way. 100%. That, that actually could be Apple if, if let's say right to re, like Apple like um right to repair goes into effect and Apple can just be like okay our our repair manual is going to be you just get a new iPhone. Yep. They can do that and they would be perfect if it passes like how the automotive industry right to repair works. That would be it. Well, okay, but but also, which is interesting to think about that way, though it could be, yeah, that would be how it would work. So, so consider something. Also, I think I don't even think we mentioned this uh, during the main podcast section, but that I see the the charging chip. It's a BGA. It's like a multi pin uh, BGA. Not the easiest thing on earth to uh, repair, even if you have the right tools for it. How many shops do you think have microscopes, the, uh, the right hot air and, and maybe even an IR bed to be able to replace BGA chips? Like 
How many? Like none, right? At least one right here. Well, and and I do too. <laughs> I have it. I have it back here. But I'm not. I'm not like that. Like place off the side of the highway that says we fix your broken screens. You know, like I oh, doubt yeah, they I have the tools for that. So why would why would a company that puts BGAs in their stuff even consider that somebody would replace that? That's true. It's true. Um, DJ027X. I wish transformers for old pinball machines were still available. Guess what? We had a couple episodes with Roz on the podcast about talking about designing and manufacturing transformers. So if you can design one and basically to design one, you pretty much only need like the inputs and outputs of a transformer and then some efficiency numbers and you can get your own custom transformer made. This for actually not a lot of money. It's surprisingly how inexpensive that is. This is a hand wound Roz transformer right here, and it. Yeah. Oh yeah, it that's right. Great. Roz made his. He own. made this and shipped it to me, and it totally works. <laughs> <laughs> so he's a weirdo. It, I, it's not as expensive as you think. Actually, um, I don't know. I've got them lying back there. I have a whole box of custom transformers that I got made for. Um, my my products a few yeah. months ago um I, I, I this is one of my favorite like the, when when steven earlier today brought up right to repair is gonna be this week's topic i was like oh yeah i love this topic yeah. so much because it, it, it touches it, cause everything what steven and i do in terms of like manufacturing and our hobbies all go down this path well, and, and it's probably not a surprise to people, but I'm manufacturing tube amps right now. And so when I hear right to repair, it's like, how much uh, am I going to have to support my amps that, that I sell to people? Like, mm-hmm. if do I fit under right to repair? Do I have to give my schematics out? Do I have to make service manuals for my stuff? Like, I, yes, I don't make iPhones, but, you know, I make electronics. What do I have to do? Yeah. So you would have to provide the same levels. So let's say... Your, uh, your amplifier company has you have you do have like a flow chart of like how if someone shipped one back to you how to fix it. You would just have to provide that process, whatever process that you do, to a third party. You know, I brought up, a- but you would have to. That's the thing, though. You would have to document it, though. Whereas right now, your documentation's in your brain. Ah, that's a very interesting topic. Should right to repair apply to software? Oh man, trying to get like software to run on like the latest OS or something like that. I actually ran into that problem today. I had to get some software that was written for Windows XP to run on Windows uh, 10. By the way, didn't work. (laughs) I think you should uh, introduce legislation to make sure that somebody makes it work for you, right? Uh, <laughs> I ended up just like you are bit banging the thing and it worked. So that's that's the software equivalent of having a hot air gun, right? Yeah, basically. <laughs> Anyone got any other questions? I, see if I'm going to scroll up a bit. Thanks everyone for uh, interacting. I uh, really. Yeah, this, this was, was awesome. Yeah. 
There was one more I found when I was looking for something else, and I completely forgot what that so, one was. So, yeah, Gadget Junkie, making the RTR documentation a part of certification and testing process, I think if there was legislation behind this, companies would start putting that as part of their design process. It would be... Um, uh, it'll certainly be... Um, like, the, uh, just to avoid um, legal issues. Yeah. Actually, on top of that, if you look up what's happening in the EU right now, um, products are required, or they will be required here soon, to have what's called a repairability index. So uh, I don't remember if it's low or high, but uh, it, there's a number on there, and it shows how easily it can be repaired, um, which is something that's going to happen in... I don't remember when it's going through. Um, would legislation make manufacturers design products with a module approach like vehicles? What's interesting is vehicles are not really modular anymore. They used to be. Um, they're becoming less and less module as time goes on um, because it ends up being cheaper. So um, I would say no. Is I don't see... Uh, manufacturers going more and more module, I see them going the opposite way because, again, all they have to provide is the same level of service and and parts to third parties as they do to their first party group. And so that was like what I was saying earlier is Apple could just say, you know, okay, our, our, our factory service manual, page one, replace iPhone with new iPhone. Close book. That could be it. Yeah, you, but they would get slammed for e-waste. Oh, they would get slammed for it, but that would that would satisfy the law. Right, right. It would not satisfy the iFixit repair manifesto, though. No. So unless we have any more questions, I think we're going to sign off. Macrofab virtual meetup. It's a good idea. Mm. I actually, I, I'm thinking we use this as like the, the live stream as kind of like the meetup. Um, and I think eventually, I mean, we got 10 people on our first day trying to do this, which is like super exciting. Yeah. Do, um, well, and, and, you know, we, we posted the link just a few minutes before. So, you know, as this becomes more and more a thing, more of a then, thing, uh, I'm sure we'll get more. Yeah. Cause what I want to do is like, we'll post like the, I'm, I'm going cause right now we do like the podcast notes, like 30 minutes before the podcast, <laughs> is maybe try to do like a day ahead. And so we can post like, like the main bullet points we're going to talk about on the podcast so that people are like, get more interested in, in coming on to the live stream and stuff. So <laughs> on the next episode, With- we're going to crap about this topic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that was the MacFab engineering podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dolman, and Stephen Craig later, everyone. Take it easy. Thank you, yes, you, our listeners, for live streaming our podcast. And then for everyone that's going to be downloading this, downloading it. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Steve and I know. Tweet us at MacFab, at Longhorn Engineer, or at Analog ENG, or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. Also, we have a Slack channel. It's got over 500 people in it. It's awesome. It's at MacFab.com slash Slack. <laughs>